Uh, good afternoon. Welcome to a, uh, another edition of One Amazing Experience. And uh, I'm delighted today to be joined um, by Lucy Werner uh, from Urban Caprice, Managing Director. Uh, Lucy, uh, I believe, has been about almost 20 years in the industry, uh, 11 years with Urban Caprice now, time flies, uh, four years before that with um, Blue Strawberry and before that uh, with a good eating company. So extraordinary experience. Lucy, would you mind giving the, the listeners a little brief insight into Urban Caprice yourself, if you wish? Yeah, of course. Hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so I've been the managing director of Urban Caprice for the past six going on seven years. And prior to that, headed up the catering department. Um, many years ago, we used to do production as well as catering. Um, and when I took over the business, we uh, consolidated into just being a catering offering. Um, and at the time, um, our reputation uh, probably wasn't at its highest. It had been in the past. And so I had a bit of a job on my hands uh, to uh, reposition the brand and um, and uh, yeah, reestablish the reputation that we once had. Um, and I would like to think that we are considered as one of London's leading caterers now. Um, we are on the list of uh, many, uh, on the preferred list of many venues across London. Um, and yeah, we're also part of the group that owns uh, restaurants across London that many people might be familiar with. And that's the Caprice Holdings Group. So it's the Ivy, Jay Sheiky, Le Caprice, Scott's, um Daphne's and also the Burley group which is Annabelle's Mark's Club George um and Harry's so uh, quite a wonderful portfolio of restaurants as well thank you Lucia uh, Lucy, an amazing portfolio indeed and uh Evan Caprice obviously an important part of it um and delighted to have you today um as we go through the one amazing experience we'll obviously be talking to you about your venue of choice for your event uh your what arrival music you'll be having uh, what you'll be serving your guests in terms of drinks, uh, meal of choice, uh, one entertainment of your choice, uh, a celebrity, if you would like a celebrity at your party, uh, others have decided that no, they want to be the celebrity, so they're <laughs> <laughs> celebrities, uh, but you're welcome to have a celebrity, uh, your first dance track, get the crowd up and running, uh, the, what you would do in terms of a big departure and, and one gift to your guests when they go, that could be something physical or just a kind word, whatever it might be. Uh, and uh, while we go through it, we'll discuss more in terms of Urban Caprice and I suppose the events industry and your experiences and how it all fits together. Uh, but to start us off, um, would you like to describe what your party is going to be or what occasion it's going to be and, and which venue it would be at? Okay, so first of all, the party is about me and it's fabulous. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet, but that's the next milestone. And uh, so fabulous at 50. I had hoped to do this party. I haven't I created this party in the last hour, to be quite honest with you. But I always hoped to have my 40th at the venue in question. Uh, that hasn't happened. Um, so now I'm aiming for 50. So uh, Ainho Park would be my venue of choice. I remember when I first did a site visit there, I just couldn't believe that one, somebody actually lived there. Um, and just the collection of immaculate taxidermy and just uh, artifacts and all, it's just, it's just a magical place, absolutely magical place. And I've managed to do uh, two or three events there now. Um, and yeah, top pick, that's exact, that's where I would have my 50th birthday. Fantastic. Is it Oxfordshire? Am I right? Sorry. Yes, I should explain that. Obviously, That's I right. know it inside out. Maybe people listening don't. Um, <laughs> Ainho Park is a stately home and it is um, in Oxfordshire, not too far from Soho Farmhouse. Um, it's uh, it, it has a number of rooms so you can accommodate. I think I'm, I haven't stayed there, so I don't know. But I think it's about 40 guests can actually stay 
in the various rooms in the house, which are all different. Um, and when you walk into the, the the reception space, the front hall, there's a huge polar bear, for example, with a with a bowler hat on his head. And on the baby grand piano, there is a, a, a unicorn foal draped across the top of it. Um, and every single room is different. Um, there's a there's a zebra on a rocking horse cradle. Um, there's a library where there's a, a, a alligator holding a tray with a crown on his head when you walk in. It's just like going into Wonderland. Um, and the best bit about it is after hours, there's also a secret hideaway bar downstairs. So it's a lot of tunnels and rooms. There's a beautiful conservatory um, with a with a giraffe which is suspended from the ceiling, but it's, it appears like it's being held up by um, uh, a bunch of big, great, big white balloons. So it's just a magical place. It's a really magical place, and just I think the perfect party pad. It it, it sounds magical. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wild, great wildlife, and. Uh, your guests will be staying overnight, I guess. Uh, the lucky ones will. My favourite people ones. will. Yeah, and the rest of them will be in the accommodation nearby. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so we, we've got your guests at, at Aino Park, a wonderful thing, and, and obviously the start of your event. And so going back to sort of your start of your career, um, I know you you studied at Bath Spa University. Maybe I did. I did. I kind of <laughs> <laughs> And what was your first entry into events? Um, so I was studying graphic design in Bath and at the time, um, I met a chap down there who, um, I ended up following up to London and, um, I fell into events completely by accident. Uh, one of his customers, uh, who did, uh, events for the fashion industry on the side, he had a customer who owned these really cool delis in Maida Vale and Finchley Road, and he was catering for very fabulous fashion parties and his event manager at the time she left and he said do I want to give it a go and of course I was meant to be doing my graphic design degree um but the next minute I'm doing a book launch for Mario Testino for Vogue magazine um my catering experience up until that point had been working in a restaurant in Bath whilst at uni um which I absolutely loved and it um I was super shy when I was a child and literally couldn't even answer a telephone and by working in restaurants it really brought me out of my shell um, so I couldn't believe this was actually a job. Nobody told me at school in the careers department that I could go and be an event manager. Um, and so, yeah, this, I was doing this amazing party. And at the time, I didn't know who Mary Testino was. Um, and, yeah, the guest list was, you know, Calvin Klein and people like that. And I just thought, this is great. So um, out the window went the graphic design and in came events. And that's how it all started. That's amazing. Well, I'm sure your graphic design skills have still come into use over the years. It has actually come full circle because... Um, Urban Caprice, you know, our, our background, having been in production or rest of it, we are a very creative caterer. I mean, I mean, there's many creative caterers out there, but it was always part of the past of Urban Caprice. And I didn't actually really tap into it when I first joined the company because, I, I don't know, creativity wasn't really there in the catering so much. It was more about the production side of things. And um, it was really in the sort of, you know, when I took over the business and I, I was trying to work out, you know, where, do, what direction do we take this in? Um, and it really helped me focus. And yeah, it, it, being creative has really, really paid off. So it certainly didn't go to waste. That's for sure. Brilliant. Um, and uh, your guests are now arrive, arriving at, at Ainho. Um, Lucky guest. Park. Lucky guest, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I'm seeing sort of uh, candles light in the path up to the, up to the venue. All looking rather stately and wonderful. And uh, in terms of music, as guests arrive? 
Well, I don't want to go straight into party party mode. So um, I think given that we're arriving at a stately home, obviously there's going to be flambeau. And I think maybe some of uh, some violinists perhaps in uh, on arrival playing modern covers. So recognizable songs, but, you know, something against something suitably stately and grand just to start off and ease the guests in to the beginning of the evening. Fair enough. And uh I think we first um, got to know each other when you were at the Business Design Centre. We did indeed. Yeah, and you were working, um, obviously, for the Good Eating Company, for John and Barry uh, and others. <laughs> <Long ago. laughs> how did you? How did you end up working with the Good Eating Company? Um, funnily enough, the same chap who introduced me to the one, the customer <laughs> that I did events for, um, he knew the Good Eating Company were looking for somebody. And uh, we weren't together at this point, but he he sent me a text and just said, oh, by the way, they're looking for somebody to go and, and run events at the Business Design Centre. So I went to go and see Barry and John and um, completely different, uh, obviously, environment. Um, what had happened is the, the chap who was doing the fashion parties, he kind of decided that wasn't for him anymore. And that kind of business dried up. And I'd gone off to run coffee bar bars in merchant banks in the city. So I'd been doing that for the best part of the year, working out, you know, running teams of baristas and what have you. And um, so when this came up, I was like, yeah, I think I'm done with coffee now, especially because I don't drink coffee. So this opportunity was quite interesting. And what was great about working at the Design Centre is it was conferences and exhibitions. And it was large numbers, something that I hadn't done before. Um, so conferences, exhibitions, very, very different. You know, one week we might be doing the Country Living Fair and I would have 7,000 people coming through the door every day. And we had to feed them, you know, throughout, throughout the building and throughout the space. And then the next week it would be a conference of 300 people and you're doing buffet stations and, you know, yeah. So it was quite varied. Um, and the food was great. I think the food that we were doing with Good Eating Company, it was the best food you, I've ever seen in an exhibition hall in a conference center. Um, it was really, really great standards. So I, I loved working for them. They were really great people. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so I think I was there, oh, I don't know, was it two years, three years? Can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so that was good. And then, of course, that's when um, I decided, actually, I want to get back to the kind of events I was doing. And I just sent my CV out to various companies, including Blue Strawberry. And it just so happened I timed it when a girl was about to go on maternity leave. And so that's how I ended up at Blue Strawberry. Amazing. And my time where we did work with the Business Design Centre and obviously carried on in terms of Blue Strawberry, etc. But um, you always had it and, and obviously come on to guest drink. I mean, it's funny that you don't drink coffee because you were you were always so on the point in terms of the quality <laughs> of baristas, uh, of baristas. And also you always used to be selling me that Illy coffee was the best at the time. I think yeah. I don't remember yeah. That. Well, uh, I was a bit biased. My ex-boyfriend was importing Illy coffee. He started the whole Illy in the UK thing. And obviously I lived with him for three years. And so I had no choice but to live, breathe, drink coffee and I actually won a Barista of the Year competition that he put me forward for. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I, I will have an odd espresso maybe on a night out, kind of just for old time's sake. Um, but yeah, no, certainly know how to make it. Just not really that bothered about it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas when we come on to drinks for your guests, I, I think you are probably bothered about them. So what would, oh, your, yeah. guests be what would your guests be having as a... As a <laughs> this might make me sound terrible, but I'm being very specific about the champagne. Uh, Runa Blanc de Blanc on arrival that's my champagne of choice 
Um, my birthday is in July. In fact, it's next week, everybody, just in case you want to send me a bottle of something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, rosé on offer would be Miraval. I absolutely love Miraval rosé. And my cocktail of choice is the Picante de la Casa. And for those of you who haven't uh, experienced one of those, it's a little bit like a margarita on the rocks. It is an original cocktail created by a bartender at Soho House many years ago. And it's uh, Patron tequila shaken with coriander, lime juice, agave nectar, and chili. And um, yeah, and you, you never, it's a bit like a roulette thing with the whole chili because you never know how hot the chili is going to be. And it usually just sizzles away in the drink as you stir the ice cubes around in it. And yeah, it actually has a cult following. If you go on uh, Instagram and look up uh, Instagram address called Soho House Memes, um, you will find that the picante has uh, has a yeah a huge cult following. I actually have the baseball cap which I'm wearing right now <laughs> for this uh, for this chat. So yeah, huge fan. So that would be my cocktail, and then obviously yes, yeah, some water and I guess some non-alcoholic cocktails. <laughs> of course. So uh, picante de la, de la casa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Runar Blanc de Blanc. Um, so Marybelle I'm trying to. Yeah, Rosé. Um, you're not the first one. To mention Reno Blanc de Blanc. Oh, really? No, no, no. Yeah, um, no, I think it's a really good example of uh, champagne at that level. It's hard to beat at that level. Yeah. Owned by Moe, correct? Sorry? Owned by Moe? Oh, uh, now you got me. I'm not trying to catch you no, out. No, no, <laughs> no. Not sure, not sure. I'll be honest, I'm not sure. They, no, they all buy up each other's brands all the time. So I can't keep track of which house owns what. Fair enough. And, uh, and, and where you, in terms of, you said you were a, a, a quiet child, which um, for those of us who know you will find it quite surprising. <laughs> Hardly. Uh, <laughs> did you come from, were, were your parents social? Were you uh, sort of in, in, enveloped by events at that uh, when you were at home? No, or? not at all. When I was younger, I remember sitting on the stairs, you know, looking through the banisters, watching dinner parties unfold, but they weren't doing dinner parties any more than anybody else. And they weren't really doing anything in particular. Yeah. My parents, uh, my mum's, my mum's a pretty social person. My father's more of a keep yourself to yourself kind of person. Um, but they're not even foodies. My mum didn't even cook with garlic because my father didn't want to smell of garlic when he went to work. And no, not, not, she's a good cook, but she's old school kind of cordon bleu kind of cook. And um, no, I, I, I kind of got into food through, again, the Italian boyfriend who uh, imported Italy. He was the one who kind of got me into cooking and into making pasta and all the rest of it. And it really stemmed from, you know, early 20s. Um, it certainly, no, didn't come from home. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Fair enough. Well, <laughs> we, we, all, we all have to thank your ex-boyfriend. You? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> in, in, in what I'm doing. <laughs> Excellent. And um, obviously you mentioned food there. Obviously food is going to be... Um, uh, important to your to your evening I'm sure mm -hmm. um uh, you will you be doing canapes with your cocktails yes, and champagne a few canapes yeah probably four or five different canapes going around certainly with champagne um but I can't just stick to three courses I'm afraid Philip so we'll keep the canapes to the minimum um because we're gonna have a five course menu I'm afraid <laughs> okay okay and these are a few of my favorite things um so to sit down Amuse bouche or a very, I'd rather do five smaller courses, you see, rather than have three bigger courses. So, uh, gazpacho is one of my favorite things in the world. Um, so, we will be starting with gazpacho. Maybe a little bit of lobster shredded or crab shredded on top, if I'm feeling really generous to my guests, uh, if I can afford mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah. And then the second course would be a ceviche, probably sea bream. I love a ceviche. And then have to have a little pasta dish. 
So um, maybe some hand-rolled trophy pasta with a, a truffle, creamy truffle sauce, that summer truffle sauce. So that would be the pasta course. Um, I'm not a big meat eater. However, down at Ainho, they have a whole herd of white deer. Um, so it seems only right and fitting to give a nod to venison. Um, and just have a really simple um, loin of venison, so a piece of venison with some summer vegetables. And then for pudding, I don't even think I want a homemade version to be made of this. I think I might just have the real one because I don't think you can beat it. And I haven't had a real one for a very, very long time. And I was thinking Arctic roll with fresh berries. <laughs> To take you back Wonderful. to my childhood, because when you get into the music bit later on, you'll understand. But I was born in the late 70s. And so it's like a little bit of a nod to kind of a little bit of a retro thing going on there. I'm not sure if it's late 70s or 80s, but I definitely ate a lot of that as a child. So um, Arctic roll for pudding. Um, oh, and can I also mention just whilst we're on food, away from the table afterwards, there's going to be a grazing cheese station. Have to have a cheese and biscuit station so that people can go and refill later. Um, and then late night bites would be dirty burgers and lo lobster rolls. <laughs> I think that should should keep everyone happy. Yeah, and, and the later night, so you that's sort of uh, half one, two o'clock in the morning. I'm guessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, well, you've obviously put a lot, lot of thought into it. In term in terms of urban, I mean, um, you're probably known for sort of theatre on a plate as well as your quality of food. Mm -hmm. Would you be fair to say? Uh, yeah, no, I think um, we're definitely known for our food more than anything. It's quality of ingredients, presentation. Our executive chef is hugely talented. Um, and yeah, it's, it's beautifully colourful. And um, yeah, it's, yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Cool. And as you said, when you when you first went to Urban, there was a production up to it. And obviously now it's very much focusing on the, on the catering. And and it's, as you say, moved on greatly over the last few years. I mean, would you say there's been one occasion where you've thought, actually, yeah, real stepping stone, this is, the business is really moving forward now? Um, sorry, could you repeat that? Yeah, of course. So um, when you started with Urban, as you say, there was a production arm to it as well. And as you said, at the time, maybe the reputation wasn't the best, but then you obviously you've, you've very much moved that business on. And normally we find with, with business leaders and business owners as well, that there's a there's sort of a moment in time, which right, is yeah. usually an event or something that has happened within a business where you've gone, actually, yeah, that, that, that we're now serious in terms of what we do and, and we can yeah. see that our reputation I do remember changed. that point. I remember that point vividly. I had gone to go and see one of my biggest clients, Lillingston, to go and drop off their little Christmas gift. Um, and I went to go and meet them at the electric. Um, and whilst I was waiting to meet with them, because they were finishing up another meeting, I got a phone call from um, Nigel Mullins from the NHM. And it was mid-December, you know, we all kind of, we were past the busy season. It was all just like, you know, downhill from there. Not in a bad way. I mean, as in like we were done with that <laughs> kind of thing. And um, he called me to say, Lucy, I just want to let you know that um, you have been successful in getting on the list at the Naturalist Museum. And at the time, what I had really struggled is when we were trying to rebuild Urban, um, it was very hard to get your foot in the door because everybody everybody has very sort of sometimes yeah no we know what urban does yeah we know what urban have done da, da, da. and it's, it was very hard to get and try and just keep knocking on doors you know we've changed things have changed things have changed and eventually Nigel Mullins opened the door and from that moment on suddenly everything else followed suit because you know when you I call them like the big big five or the big six whatever it is like when you go on safari there are certain venues that you really need to be on the list of um, and that's when you know you're there. And, and the NHM was one of those. And then we were very lucky because the following spring, all of the um, 
all four of the all of all the historic royal palaces followed suit, Royal Hostel Chelsea. And from that moment on, once you've got some of those under your belt, you have this credibility that you just don't have without them. Um, mm -hmm. Which I'm not saying not, it depends what level of caterer you are, you know what you're trying to aiming to do. Um, but for us, that was certainly the the, the goal. Um, and it took us a while to get there. Once we got there, we were off. And so that that was that was a turning point. So yes, thank you, Mr. Mullins, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he will. He's uh, he, I believe he's over in Jersey at the moment. He is uh, indeed. Yeah, um, but yeah, he was uh, he was obviously a lovely man, and um, he uh, he he. Well, yeah, he said he, he saw he saw where we were going. He could see what we were doing. And he did. That's why he put us on there, and and he was totally right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, I was going to say that he he, uh, he when I left, he took my job. So basically, uh, I. <laughs> Nigel, Nigel was, he, he, he took over from me. So that's all good ah. at the Natural History Museum. Um, but the Natural History Museum was, as you say, in terms of, I suppose, as, a, as the big five or whatever else that, and uh, a lot of, and not to keep using old industry names, but uh, obviously Ian Fraser, who was um, original uh, chairman of Unique Venues of London, and he was my boss when I was an mm -hmm. NHM, and he really was the one who sort of first stepped up the whole sort of health and safety and, and making sure that caterers were really accredited rather than just yeah. a sort of, one man job yeah. um so yeah as you say it became sort of a, a pinnacle venue to be listed at and then other venues would follow so if it can work at the natural history museum they can pretty well work anywhere was okay. was the feeling so yeah. it's um it, it's it makes sense in terms of being a stepping stone it's fantastic um so we've gone through your meal already we're nice and quickly now um i know you love entertainment so what will you be doing lucy what will your guests how will your guests be entertained during the evening You've given me, it says one entertainment of choice, did you say? Or well, it does, yeah. You, you can, have, well, so just, you, you can have more if you want. Okay, so obviously we've, we're coming towards the end of dinner and now people are obviously a little bit full. I need to get them up and they've got to get the, 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 the energy going again. Um, a client of mine who works for Bassey Power Station, I did an event with her in September of last year and she had this act that I had never seen before, and maybe I've just had my head in the sand, but I think they're French, and they're called Spark, and they are LED drummers, and I was absolutely obsessed with these guys. They are all dressed in white with great big, sort of like, imagine like band, tall, big band hats on. Their faces are painted out white. They're all in white out clothing, white drums, but then they've got these LED lights all over their outfits, and they're all different color each. So one might be blue, yellow, green, purple, what have you. And they drum all in time together and they have these intense expressions on their face. And the way, it's just the way they move and they come together in formations and they come out of formations. They might go and drum in your face. Obviously, maybe not now. They're going to have to probably stand back a bit. But, <laughs> but these guys are just awesome. And they, they just they bring such an energy um, and they're loud. And so I was thinking, right, let's get people up from the table. These drummers, they're going to get the party started. Um, and then they're going, that will then seg you into the music part of the evening. I would also have to have my friend Sav, who, uh, Sav the Deceptionist, who I've known for many, many years. When I first came to London, we met at an industry um, exhibition, um, funny enough, at the Business Design Center. Um, I wasn't working for them at the time, but that's where we met. And he's a fantastic sleight of hand ma magician. Um, and I know he'd be happy to do a little freebie for my 50th, I'm sure. So he would go around and amaze people. And then I would hand out sparklers for everybody as well. Outside, obviously, sparklers, yeah. So that would be my my entertainment that would lead us into the music part of the evening. Fantastic. Well, I haven't actually asked you, I mean, how many, how many guests are you for seeing at this? I'm not a big fan of huge parties. 
Okay. Because I don't think you get to um, really get round and talk to everybody. You are slightly, well, depends on which room in Ainho Park I would have the dinner. If you go to the conservatory, I can easily sit 80. There's another room that I really, really love, but only takes 40. And I think given it's my 50th, by then I should have 80 really fabulous people that can come. So let's say about 80, maximum 100. Great. Enough for a good party. Enough for a good party. Enough for uh, enough for Sav to get round to pretty well all, ta- <laughs> all tables during during dinner, and uh, and Spark to be highly impressive for. Yeah, that would be good. And you've often, oh, you've obviously, obviously talked about you did good eating company and then blue strawberry and then obviously done urban. I mean, what would you say have been your your greatest learnings over the years? Ah, oh, people management. Yeah. <laughs> people management. Um. I've always had a very uh, work hard, play hard ethic. Um, I've always been the kind of person that has been frustrated over the years when people don't maybe have the same ethic as you or, um, and I think again, a turning point with Urban and getting Urban to where it needed to be. I remember um, I was probably two years into being managing director and some of my team were frustrating the hell out of me. And I ended up having a conversation with HR and they they had recognized at that point, and this is this is this is there are obviously exceptions to the rule. I don't want to blanket anybody in this thing, but it was identified that the millennial generation had certain uh, traits, um, and and you know they they don't they don't they didn't see necessarily work in the same way that the older generation did. And she sent me this uh, the lady who was head of recruitment. She sent me a link for um, uh, a chat called Simon Sinek who did a talk on uh, millennials in the workplace. And I watched this on my way over to Thailand to escape for Christmas and just have two weeks just of quiet and chill. And I watched this and I was like, oh my goodness, I now see what's going on here. And I can keep butting my head against the wall, trying to do it my way and getting everybody to do it my way and see it my way. But the reality is it's much easier to change yourself than it is 12 other people. And so the time when I was away, I worked through that in my head. And when I came back, the first thing I did is I sent this link to everybody in the team and I asked them to watch it. And I said, 10 minutes time, meeting in the tasting room, please. So we sat down and I explained to them that I realized why we weren't seeing eye to eye on certain things. Um, And I just said, look, we need to accept we're different generations. We do have a different work ethic and this is how we're going to work moving forward. I'm going to cut you guys some slack and try and see it from your perspective. And you're going to understand why I get upset or why things aren't, you know, because I do think, you know, they thought I was over the top sometimes about, you know, the toilet paper has to have to come off the toilet roll holder in a certain way. And they thought that was laughable. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, but that's a basic hospitality thing in a hotel. I don't get why you don't get that. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, we came to an agreement that we would all kind of just start to try and understand each other better. And literally, I'm not even kidding, overnight, the whole thing changed. The whole dynamic changed, the way the office felt, everything changed. And that's not to say that I don't get upset about things sometimes when they don't do it properly or how I've asked them to do it. But it just, it just, it honestly, literally within a week, different company. It was amazing. So yeah, that's the greatest learning I had. You, you never stop learning how to manage people and you can always be better at it. And I think it's also really important as, as a leader, that you have to put your hand up, you have to apologize if you've got it wrong um, and encourage other people to do the same thing. Um, you know, I don't want my team to hide mistakes from me or, you know, what have you. It's like if there's something, if you've got, got something wrong, come to me and talk to me about it because there will be a solution and we'll work it out together. So that's yeah. definitely the, the greatest learning over the years. That and also, um, I think also, I think sometimes when the team, I've had people in my team before who feel like they're not making any progress and that's a millennial trait. Like I don't make any progress and you're not going to get there overnight in terms of your career. 
I, I had like a bit of a slumdog millionaire style approach to my career in as much as I didn't know when I, at 16 or 17 when I was working in the greengrocers in the local village or uh, when I was working in that restaurant as a waitress and then I did the coffee industry and then I did the bar industry and did cocktails that all of those things cumulatively led me to be able to manage the role that I have at Urban Caprice now. That's 20 years, more than 20, it's 25 years of experience that has got me to this point. I remember when I got to Urban, my first tastings that I used to sit in, I was too scared to speak. Why? Because I didn't have the knowledge. Now I sit there and I yap away about all sorts of as you can tell right now. I'm <laughs> comfortable, but that comes from experience and from knowledge. And I think the younger generation need to understand that that doesn't come in a short period of time. You know, we this this is a career, this is twenty years of experience that I can sit and talk like that in front of clients in a tasting. So yeah, that 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 also is what I've learned. The more I learn, the more confident I become. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and in terms of as you say, you you obviously got them to listen to uh, Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I have heard of the chap. A lot of people do refer to him, him and uh, Matthew Said and others as well. Mm. Um, um, what when you say you had to change to to meet your team or let's say it was a meeting of halfway in terms of them understanding as well what, what you were trying to achieve what was the biggest thing you had to change from yourself um I'm not known for um <laughs> for being soft and overly tactful I kind oh. of do tend to say things like it is um oh. and I had to learn to soften that um yeah. and you know, also I get easily frustrated. You know, I find it difficult, you know, when you've clearly told somebody we need to do it like this and this is why we need to do it. And then two days later, they're not doing it like that. My first reaction would be to get frustrated, and, you know, and it's like, no, okay, we didn't get it the first time around. Let's try again. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, I think it, it's it's managing my frustration and making sure that the way I come across, it, it doesn't then push them further away. So yeah, so softening my approach, I would say. Yeah. That makes it makes sense, and, and and I think as you say that that the, the why, what's what has been said in terms of millennials, from my understanding, is the why is the the most important thing too. Mm. Whereas, as you say, when 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 we were growing up, well, we were growing up. If we were told to do something, it's like okay, well, fine, we'll do it. Whereas now it's no, yeah, you, you've really <laughs> got to tell me the why, and you've got to tell me more than once, and probably in more than yeah. one way, and then I will get it. Uh, otherwise, no, I'm not going to get it, and I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. We we all have to learn how to how to manage people on a continual basis. Yeah. Um, Great. Um, but you're, you're managing your party very well so far, may I say. Oh, the party's great. I'm loving it. The party's, <laughs> the party's great. Um, everyone is going wow at Sav's Slater hand and uh, at Spark as well. Cameras have been flashing away. Uh, and uh, dancing, I'm assuming you're going to have dancing? Yes. Yeah, so again, to hark back to the fact that I'm a baby of the late 70s, although I didn't really live in the 70s, um, I'm thinking a little bit of disco house with live percussion with a fantastic DJ heading that up. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Dis disco house, right? You're going to have to give us an, an, can you give us an example artist? Just, you know. Uh, no, I, know I don't really know names because it, it's like a kind of genre. Like if you, if you went on okay. music and put in disco house, like it will come up with things. But I mean, if you imagine, if you don't know disco, house, then imagine disco, but with a real housey vibe going on. Nice. So that, yeah. kind of, that whole thing. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool, <laughs> uplifting. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. easy to dive like, yeah. to, not too heavy, but fun. And uh, we didn't we didn't ask at the beginning. So um, some people obviously have uh, gone for fancy dress. Some people have gone very classical sort of black tie. Others are much more like no, it's just casual. 
um, for yours, Lucy? I would probably use the disco house thing as a lead on this. You see, so, that's why I was asking a little bit, that. Yeah, retro glam, retro glam. Retro glam, excellent. <laughs> that's a- I won't, I, I won't, I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> fabulous, everybody. everybody needs to be fabulous. Everyone looks fabulous. I like that. Uh, and talking about fabulous, who has inspired you most in the industry? Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that any particular person has inspired me most in the industry. Um, I love seeing what other people get up to. I love seeing, you know, what amazing installations florists are doing. And I love seeing what other caterers come up with. And, you know, so I wouldn't say I'm inspired by any particular person. I'm more in what I do. I'm more inspired by uh, the restaurants I eat in, not necessarily ours, because obviously I know those inside out, but the restaurants I go out and eat in and the places that I travel to. Um, I, I get a lot of inspiration from when I go abroad um, on holiday and I see certain things and say, oh, that could work really well. You know, I'm going to go home. And I remember going to Barcelona once and we went to this uh, gorgeous little restaurant called Casa uh, Lolea. And um, I went with some friends of ours and they had this DIY, um, I'm not going to be able to say this right, but pan con tomat. I don't know. It's, it's basically when you rub the, the the garlic and the tomato on the bruschetta, on the, on the, on the bread, and um, you do it yourself. And it was so fun. Um, and I, I remember doing that for an event that we did. Yeah, completely ripped it off and did it on our fun, <laughs> if I'm completely honest. But I dressed it up differently and did it, obviously, in our way. Sure but it's things yeah. like that that I absolutely love. You go and think, oh, God, I've never thought to do something like that. It's so simple, really fun. Um, so, yeah, no, I get most of my inspiration, really, from, from restaurants and, and travel experiences. Excellent. Do you have a favorite restaurant? Do I have a favorite restaurant? Um, I have a lot of restaurants that I love. Um, I was never a big fan of Indian food. And I'm not, I think it's because my mother never, she doesn't like being called mother, my mum, mummy, um, she, she never gave us any spicy food when we were kids. And um, I was never exposed to Indian food. So I always grew up thinking, oh, I don't really like spicy food. I don't really like Indian food. And I remember going to Thailand and loving Thai food. And then it's only really in the last few years, because I guess eating some Indian food by what Urban Caprice has created, you know, maybe for staff lunch or whatever. And I thought, oh, I really like this. So I've been a real latecomer to the table um, with, with Indian food. And therefore, I am obsessed with cricket with a K. And cricket, there's a number of branches across London. And in fact, I've got it booked in for my birthday next week. Uh, and I can't wait to go. They, Yeah, I, I love Indian food. So cricket's probably my current fave. But I do favor the sort of middle, mid-level restaurant. Every now and then it's fun to go to like a, I remember going to Claire Smith's core um, about six months ago. And I can remember pretty much every single course. It was stunning. But that's not the kind of thing I like to do on a regular basis. I'm definitely more the cricket uh, polpo kind of level when I go out and eat. Sure. So it's, uh, I mean, uh, polpo, pop, sorry, polpo is sort of, um, it's quite sort of Italian tapas as such, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. small, small bites, yeah. small bowls. Is, is cricket the same? Uh, cricket has got some small sharing dishes, but it's also got some larger dishes too, but it is very much yeah. a sharing thing. I like to yeah. share food. I like to have as much different variety as possible i can't have food envy going on it's like i like to know what my boyfriend's ordering and i like to influence what he's getting so that i can have a bit of everything you suffer from fomo yes 100 (laughs) fair enough um and uh best memories um i mean god there's got to be loads but the ones that probably from the from back in the day are a little bit hazy now but um one one of the more recent ones, certainly with Urban Caprice, is um, for two years running, we got to go down to the south of France 
um, during the Cannes uh, Lions Festival. And we took a core team and we were running events all week in this unbelievable villa, which stood on the hillside overlooking Cannes. Um, and my job, actually, because I had an amazing event manager with me, Gabriella, who's in my team, uh, I let her kind of get on and run the majority of the show. And I kind of held back in the background. And I actually ended up becoming like uh, driver porter number two. And I had a car and I was running around doing errands for everybody and just kind of just being the glue that held everything together. And I absolutely loved it. It's great fun working abroad because you get thrown different curveballs. It's obviously, you know, for the most part, a different language if you're not somewhere where English is widely spoken. And I just love the challenge of the logistics that comes with that. Um, and also I like being in the sun. Um, so yeah, working in the south of France uh, in, with Urban recently, the last few years, has been great. That's definitely one of my most, and also because we had the most amazing staff villa down the road from the villa we were working in, it turned out it was cheaper to find a villa on Airbnb than to get hotels. So Gabriella found this unbelievable villa. We had our own pool, and so at the end of the evening, <laughs> sit around the pool and, round, and have a beer, talk about the next day ahead, work out the itinerary. Oh, it was just brilliant. Didn't want to come home. It was great. Uh, it, it sounds amazing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's what they say. It's um, yeah. Events isn't always a job, is it? Sometimes it's a calling. And it's, it's oh, a it has it it. It Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but it's also in terms of you talking about that. I mean, in the, the UK events industry. Um, uh, obviously, I I would say is I'm biased being being from the UK, but I do think that we we do have amazing strength. I know that with urban, as you say, South of France, and they've obviously been out to Saudi Arabia as well. Yeah. Um, I've had the pleasure of going to Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, Saudi Arabia, all sorts. Anyway, uh, it's mind-boggling. Um, obviously, it's going through a hard time at the moment in terms of with with COVID. Um, within your time, obviously, with if, if you're saying uh, uh, eleven and a half years with with Urban, and then obviously blue, before that with Blue Strawberry. So, 2008, 2009. Obviously, you've, you've been through that period in terms of recession then and coming out of it. This is unprecedented, but do you have learnings from having seen lows before and how people have bounced back? Um, I think when obviously it happened before, I wasn't in the driving seat when it happened before. Yeah. So it wasn't really in my lap to kind of find direction for the business. Um, but I certainly saw how it was handled. And I think it's really important that rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and try and be something you're not, I think the most important thing is to stick to what you do and what you know um and and yeah you know I, I remember it was you know we, we did try and do some kind of sort of lower level entry well lower price point kind of thing we tried to do like an offshoot of urban caprice you know and I think it muddy muddies the water a little bit you know clients get confused where do you stand what are you at and I think it's it, I think you know for me right now the the plan is to stick with, with who we are, what we do, and we may not be able to do it right now, and I will wait until we can do that. And of course, I am thinking about the future and what's going to be possible. But the, the biggest problem, I think, for all of us right now is there's so much speculation. You know, the venues don't yet know how many they can have. So therefore, we don't know what we're, we're trying to do. And it, it's just, yeah. So the thing is, I was, I was pulling my hair out for the first three months of lockdown, and eventually I was like, this needs to stop. Let's, let's just wait um, until we know how we can progress and then we can create a plan. So yes, of course, I've got ideas. And of course, the focus of the business will have to change in terms of who our target audience is. So obviously, the corporate business isn't going to bounce back before Christmas. 
but there is obviously the opportunity of private business. We're lucky that we have all these wonderful restaurant brands in our stable. So for me, you know, the great thing is we can market to our members um, and, 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 and bring those brands to people and build, you know, I can build you, you know, a Mexican room from Annabelle's in your back garden, if you like, if of course you've got that sort of budget. Um, I can bring that down to the south of France for you. So it's just a case of working out where the business is rather than I think changing who you are. That's, yeah. that's where I'm at. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's, uh, as you said, the, the, the corporates, I think they will take longer to, to bounce back. It will be interesting to see. Mm. Um, there was a, a statistic, which was, and the statistic is a week or two weeks old now. Um, but at that time, in the lockdown period, there had been over 77,000 weddings postponed in the wow. UK. It's going to be a busy so, year next time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Looking forward it's, to uh, that pipeline. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be doing weddings on a Monday and a Tuesday, which you, yeah, which you, uh, so which would be nice, you know. That'd be great. Yeah, exactly. So yes, I I think that that's, it, it's interesting to hear your your future planning and and as you say, it's looking at where where business is, not necessarily changing what you're doing, but it, you might have to change who your clients are and and doing tweaks to make it fit their needs. Mm. Um, and would you have a celebrity at your party? I was going to say no, but there is somebody who I actually really, really love. I would love mm-hmm. to be very happy for him to be at my 50th, and that would be Eddie Azard. Okay. Yeah, he'd be very well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would be, uh, he'd be undoubtedly interestingly dressed. Yeah, he'd be dressed for the occasion. He'd be fabulously funny. And I reckon he's probably got some good dance moves on him as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Have you, have you met Eddie? No, but I have seen him live a number of times. Okay. Yeah. See, stand up. Yeah. Yeah, he's fab. Excellent. Brilliant. Um, we don't want to get to the end of your party, but obviously there will, there will unfortunately be an, an end at some point. So, though, and you've already mentioned a downstairs bar in the cellars. So we, I've had two people already cheat on this and go, well, it's the party, but then there's the after party. So <laughs> you... <laughs> Well, for those who are staying in the house, can yeah. obviously go and do the after party downstairs. Right. Um, yeah. For but so we we won't be able to. We'll tell the other 40, 60 guests. We won't tell them about the downstairs bar. They obviously will have to leave, and that's will that be the big departure um, that that everybody thinks it's over. And then, of course, the ones who are left, then I'll tell them about the the downstairs secret bar. Okay, and in terms of those people who are leaving, <laughs> uh, that's bagpipers for you lot. So oh, bagpipers, this, and he was talking about bagpipers doing again. I've already used, I know, violinists doing covers, but he was talking about bagpipers doing well-known covers. And, was, and so we were looking at it on YouTube and there's some really, really good songs. So I thought, yeah, I'd like to do, I know it's not very environmentally friendly, so I'd have to find an environmentally friendly version if there is one. Um, but you know, when they do all those lovely Chinese lanterns, yeah, I'd love to do something like that with a bit of bagpipe action. But um, if there's an environmentally friendly option, then obviously I'll just go with the bagpipers. Yeah. There must be a bamboo boo version or something. I, I, as you I say don't it. think they've they've worked that out now. Yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, well, that will look spectacular. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, would you have a would you have a parting gift for your guests? Um, I would give them a uh, maybe a picante de la casa kit with a ah. red chili shaped helium balloon attached to it, <laughs> so that they can make okay. the following day. As you're modelling it, as we speak, I'm afraid obviously listeners can't see it. You're going to have to give them the Picante baseball cap as well to go. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's just a whole Picante kit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, 
And you've obviously you've, you've touched briefly in terms, as you say, in terms of future planning. But you, are you do you, do you have a any any more? I suppose uh, meat to the bones there in terms of what Urban Caprice are looking at doing at the moment. Um, well, first of all, it's just getting somebody off furlough to start with. That's that's, that's all I'm worried about right now. Um, so one of my team is coming off furlough part time next week, which will allow us to uh, respond to inquiries. Um, so we're going to do like a, a four day week. So she will operate uh, four hours a day, Monday through Thursday. Um, and that will just allow us obviously to start responding. Um, as far as um, what the future holds, I mean, obviously, I'm just finding those different audiences. And I think, you know, very much the focus will be on getting our restaurant brands to prospective members and clients. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do have a few ideas about next year but um not that i'm willing to share (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of a strategy going on yeah Yeah, that's fair enough we'll leave it as a surprise yeah (laughs) (laughs) what lucy did next yeah what lucy did next well thank you lucy it's been great to go through it um sarah you obviously your event you're having a wonderful event and i know i know park right name um guests will be coming up the driveway and violins will be greeting them uh playing covers obviously and then uh, they'll be having some runar champagne and uh, picante de la casa as well um and they um kind of and going into a five course tasting menu or so we've got gazpacho uh lobster with lobster potentially on it service of sea bream um hand-rolled pasta with truffle sauce. Is that, am I getting it right at the moment? Oh. Uh, sorry, I thought I lost you there for a moment, Lucy. Yeah. Um, and we got venison. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Arctic roll. <laughs> oh, <laughs> coffee. Well, you'd be surprised. Again, you're not the first person to say Arctic roll, weirdly uh, enough. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling, if my memory serves right, it was actually Johnny Roxburgh who was going okay. for Arctic yeah, oh, actually, so you are. You're in good company. <laughs> and then you got Spark, the drummers, entertaining people with Sav as well, um, doing illusions. Um, and then we have some um, disco house yeah. music. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, will you be doing? Well, you've got to, haven't you? Really, in terms of your background. Well, so I know you don't. You drink espresso martinis. Uh, funnily enough, that is the drink that I won my barista competition with. Um, I don't drink them. Uh, I actually don't really like them. But I made them for the panel that were in the when I was in the finalists uh, section. I made them for the panel on the panel of judges with Giorgio Locatelli. He'd never had one before. And so everybody else was coming in with their squirty cream and syrups and making these god-awful concoctions. And I came in with a sexy cocktail shaker, my vodka, my Kahlua, my Tia Maria. Uh, people have messed around with the with the spec since then, by the way, but it is the original recipe. And it was actually originally known as the vodka espresso. I actually was taught by the man who invented it, Dick Bradsall, who sadly is no longer with us. But he taught me to make that drink to go into the competition with. And so I went in there. And, of course, these poor jaded judges who'd had so much sugar and syrup and cream in the previous concoctions i stood there with my shaker poured out five perfect espresso martinis as they're now known and um yeah and i won myself two thousand pounds of holiday vouchers and off i went to the maldives so i owe that one of my most amazing holiday experiences to that drink um but i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I mean, um, I'll drink I, one. I'll drink one if somebody gave it to me. You drink one. Well, well, we're going to make you make them on the evening, I'm afraid, <laughs> because if you if you are award winning, I mean, you you got to really. Well, I will have them. Uh, let them be at the party because I know how much everybody else likes them. And exactly. Like give the party a bit of a kick up the arse when it's needed. So yeah, exactly. I'll, let, I'll let them in. Fantastic. Uh, and then you've got the uh, the late night nibbles. I'm sorry, I forgot what you're having for late night nibbles. Uh, we're like talking? thirty burgers and lobster rolls. Thirty bags and lobster rolls, fantastic. Uh, and then after party for the special ones who are staying in the house, and uh, the rest mere mortals will be uh, will be off packing with their picantes. <laughs> we packed off with their picantes, um, two bagpipes um, with uh, Chinese Chinese lanterns, uh, <laughs> and also obviously we'll have Eddie Izzard there to entertain us as well. So I'm going to go start saving for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do and uh, I'll put the date in the diary. I'm not sure what it is, but yeah. roughly mid July uh, in a few years. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> more than a few, Lucy. More than a few. Um, but thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, and to learn about your career as well. Um, as lots of, of really useful and interesting stuff um, for the listeners here. So uh, I'm sure they will all enjoy. And uh, the very best of luck. Going forward with Urban Caprice, uh, I'm sure 21 will be a big year. We all just need to get through the next few months and for the government and the world to see sense. Uh, and then finally, we can yeah, get events get back. back to where they should be. You will. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much, fella. See you soon. Pleasure. See you Bye. Soon. Bye. Bye.